Hello, I am Jamie, as usual, here at Stillmeyer Games, and I'm joined today with two special guests to talk about a topic that I'm excited to talk about, and that is abstract games. Joined with William and Eric. Um, I'd like to hear from both of you. Uh, well, let everyone know who you are and what your connection is to abstract games and what an abstract game is to you. William, we'll start out with you. Absolutely. So my name is William. It's good to meet you all. Glad to be here. Thanks for the honor to talk about abstract games. It's absolutely my favorite genre. I mean, I think a lot of people start off by playing abstract games, whether they know it or not. Uh, how I define abstract games is any game that has a theme that's either non-existent or superficial. Uh, so it might just be just pieces and rules. And, just, and that is the, the core of the game. There's not a lot of us there's not a lot of characters or any type of story or narrative. It's truly about just the mechanics of the game. Uh, a lot of times it's with maybe two players. Uh, you see a lot of abstract games are just two players that are often maybe battling or attacking each other or a lot of player interaction with those just those two players, uh, but it doesn't have to be the case. And um, a lot of times there is some sort of um, a player elimination as well um, that happens um, in, in a lot of after games. There's some other cornerstones to it as well, but those are my biggest indicators if a game is abstract or not. Thank you. Eric, what about you? What, who are you? What's your connection to abstract games? And when, how do you how did you define it for this list? Sure. Um, uh, Eric Furston. Um, and I would say, well, first, maybe my connection to Stonemeyer is that uh, I've been, uh, I guess, longtime ambassador. Uh, I've uh, play tested uh, many games um, and uh, expansions for Jamie and for Stonemeyer. Uh, I've also had the honor of uh, demoing semo, several of these games at uh, Gen Con over the past couple of years. Uh, and just in terms of my connection to abstract games is just uh, like William is just a, another genre that I love, uh, that it's something that is different than maybe some of the games that we kind of grew up on, like Monopoly, where you're just, you know, kind of taking a pawn and, and moving it around uh, the table. Uh, and, and further, that, uh, like was mentioned, it doesn't really have uh, a particular narrative or a story uh, necessarily involved. Um, I think a lot of the ones that I'm going to be talking about today are more puzzles uh, than mm -hmm. anything else. Uh, but uh, it's just a, a fun and, and unique uh, mechanism and genre for the game. Wonderful. Both of you actually have the connection that you're both ambassadors. You're both play testers for some of our games. And you were That's both right. at Gen Con this past year demoing games for various companies. That's true. Um, uh, so my definition, I, I, I have thought about this a lot as I try to come up with my list. Here are a couple of the categories that I that I um, defined for myself for abstract games. So I, I said that abstract games are games that combine one or more of the following. One, the game cannot be explained thematically. Um, or is very difficult to explain thematically. Uh, typically, each player has the same information and decision space. Uh, that's not always true, but sometimes true. Uh, there's often a spatial element to the game. Again, not always true, but often true. And there is often no luck or very little luck or randomness in the game. Again, even with all these different categories, I thought of games that that uh, break some of those rules. But uh, you know, this is an arbitrary uh, definition. Some people would say that all tabletop games are abstract games. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I think we'll we'll be talking about pretty clearly abstract games today. I like um, what you said there. Yeah. Uh, I liked how you said that they are, you know, basically a lot of, or typically a lot of <laughs> abstract games have very like 
little hidden information or little luck or a little chance involved. That's definitely a cornerstone as well as I think a lot of times it's a lot of, uh, it's, there's not a lot of words. There's oftentimes language independent. And yeah. so, you know, so I think that's another big cornerstone. We, we really talk, really think about it. They're one of the oldest genres. And, and so, uh, yeah, this, that's why I like them. Um, they're always has been around us and uh, I think they're here for a long time to come. So, uh, yeah, let's, I love to talk about abstract games. Well, William, why don't you let us know your honorable mentions? Okay. So these are phenomenal games. I think all these games that we're going to be mentioning today are great games in their own right. However, um, by my own definition of uh, just being a little bit more uh, of purist, I would say, of not having much of a, of a theme or, or um, you know, not a lot of um, you know, just like words or art or anything like that. Uh, so my honorable mentions would be Sagrada and also Hive. And then lastly, the uh, Gagamic series of modern um abstract games. They have a lot of different ones. The most famous is probably Quartra or Quarta. And so those are my three honorable missions on my list. And William, what was that like? I, I'm, I'm typing out the honorable missions here. Was it a yeah. Gamic series? Yeah, yeah a Gamic, G-I-G-A-M-I-C, uh, -I, -I, I believe. So they have Quarto, they have a couple others uh, where they have just beautiful, beautiful pieces. And not to say that after games don't have to be beautiful. I think a lot of these games, even Sagrada is very beautiful, you know, very uh, just yeah. aesthetically pleasing. However, um, the, the, the pieces themselves are pleasing and not necessarily artwork. That makes sense. Awesome. Eric, what about your honorable mentions? And we'll go, we'll go say, for anyone watching now, we're going to go into much more detail for our top four. We're just doing these honorable mentions briefly. Yeah. Sorry, Eric, go ahead. No, uh, I would say, uh, probably war chest, um, mm. Santorini, um, rummy cube, uh, was a, a classic that uh, I grew up on, and I think I would be uh, remiss without mentioning chess. Uh, is, is probably the granddaddy of all abstract games. I uh, also mentioned chess on my list, along with uh, a recent one called Lacuna, another recent one called Boop, Patchwork, Azul Summer Pavilion, which was near the top of my list the previous time I did an abstract game video, but I haven't played it in a while. Um, can't Stop which I debated putting on here, but because Can't Stop does use a lot of randomness. It's a push-your-luck game, but it's completely abstract. I can't explain it. Can't Stop thematically. And I also realized that most games that use a standard deck of playing cards, I can't explain. Like, I, I can't explain what we're doing in poker. We're playing poker. We're, I, there's no other thematic narrative or anything, explanation of that. So poker, heart, spades um, probably don't fit some of the definitions of abstract games, but they are fairly abstract in that they can't be explained thematically. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, just those basic card games or dominoes, you know, like, Not what are we, yeah. we're just playing dominoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. All right, well, I'm excited to go deeper into the games that we have on our list. Uh, William, why don't we start with your number four pick? Okay, my number four is the game Blockus. Blockus is a game that, again, these games usually are very, very simple to teach very um, few rules and, and this is one of the games that are just aesthetically pleasing and on the back there it is that's the rules <laughs> you um, start off on the edge of the board with the piece everyone's playing different color pieces and you're basically um there's just one rule they say it right here it's so easy to play um it takes you know a lifetime to master um each piece play must touch another piece of the same color but only at the corner or vertices and so the the twist is i guess the the mechanical hook is that as you place more pieces there's less squares 
um, there's less space for you to place future pieces and you're trying to play out all of your pieces to win the game. And so you can try to basically block, which is the name of the game, block us to block your opponent from placing out their pieces. You can try to basically place your biggest uh, pieces first and do your smaller ones later. Uh, there's a lot of different strategies. You can play up to two to four players. There's like a three player variant and two player variant. Um, I like it playing at four players particularly. Um, but yeah, that's the example. Uh, that's that's the game <laughs> in three in three rules. Uh, choose a color, move a piece, and conquer the board. That's Blockus for my number four. Heck, have you played Blockus? Yeah, I, I think you're going to be uh, seeing Blockus appear uh, again very okay. soon uh, as well. Okay, yes. <laughs> we'll go deeper in because it'll be on my list as well. <laughs> yeah, Blockus. It's there a popular go. game. You know, there's a lot of spinoffs, and and I played it on the digital version a lot on the PlayStation Three actually a lot growing up, and yeah, it's it's a very popular game for for very good reasons. It's, it's really good. I think, we um, did share. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just. I'm sorry. I was just going to mention. Uh, I believe I taught Blockus to my son probably when he was as early as five years old, uh, and it was just great to teach him spatial awareness, uh, mm -hmm. advanced planning. Um, you know, things like that. And and like you had said, it's basically, it's two rules. It's as, as simple as that. This may overlap with what happens later with Eric, but William, I, I'm curious, some people might be watching this and wondering that they've seen multiple versions of Blockus on the shelves. You held up a specific one. Is that your favorite of that version and of the different versions and why? Right. So there's a lot of different versions, like you mentioned. I haven't played a lot of the other ones, actually. Um, I didn't even know there was <laughs> that many. So recently when yeah. I started doing a little bit of a deeper dive, I was like, okay, I think I'm just just the, the simple, the original block is, but yeah, there's there's a 3D version. There's so many different versions. I played the digital version, of course, of the original, um, but I think they're all probably have their own twist and, and like just different takes on the, the core mechanic. And uh, I don't, whichever one you decide to go with, I don't think you can go wrong. This is like I said, a five-year-old can play it. You can be playing it for years to come. Uh, yeah, just check it out, block is a great game. Number four on my list. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, I think, Eric and I, since we, sounds like yes. we have it on our list as well. So, Eric, what is your number four on your list? My number four is a relatively new game. Uh, this is something called That Time You Killed Me. And um, in essence, it is uh, 3D chess with a time mechanism uh, where you play. I don't know how well you can see. So, there are three different boards, uh, and each are a... Um, um, four by four or 16 grid uh, representing past, present, and future. And it is a two-player only game by Pandasaurus. Um, and the object is to knock out or kill your opponent before he kills you. Uh, this is probably the only one on my list that has a semi-theme where you're claiming to be the inventor of time travel, um, as is your opponent. So that's why you're trying to bump each other off. But what's really unique about this is what you do in one space can affect another space. So if you are in the present and you then travel to the past, you then um, move your piece to the past, but then you put a copy of yourself in the present. Because thematically, if you think about it, if you went two weeks into the past and stayed there for two weeks, you would then now be in the present as well. So um, what you do then in, in one piece can affect another piece, and you're uh, either trying to bump your opponent off the board or bump them into each other, uh, because like in the movie Time Cop, uh, the, the same matter uh, cannot occupy the same space, uh, so he'll basically um, disappear. But really unique game. There are um, 
four different uh, modules uh, included in this that can have different elements. Uh, one that you normally start off with is you plant a seed in the past, which then becomes a bush in the present and then a tree in the future. Uh, mm -hmm. And then what you do with one can affect the other. Uh, so really, really unique game that time you killed me. Uh, again, it's uh, 3D chess in time. Interesting. Fascinating. I love your explanation of it. Thank yeah, you. Have you played this one? I have not played it. I've heard of it. Uh, I know it's designed by Peter Hayward. I've come across them because I'm also a game designer as well. And I did a little bit of research on that game because I was working on a game that also involves some time travel or some time traveling aspects. And so I wanted to see how other people approach time travel in their game designs. And uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of it. I haven't had a chance to play it, but you definitely uh, made it sound very, very interesting for me to check it out in the future. Thanks. And I, I love time travel fiction and time loops and things like that in games. So I, I definitely need to check this one out as well. Thank you for sharing that, Eric. Sure. My number four um, is one of my most recent plays. One of the categories I thought about for this that uh, I didn't go too deep into it because I probably could have had a whole list of games in the roll and write category because a lot of roll and writes are fairly abstract. But um, Super Mega Lucky Box is mm -hmm. a recent roll and write game that I played that. You know, it's, it's bingo. Bingo is a very abstract concept. It's essentially bingo that's gamified so that you're trying to cross off certain numbers to complete rows or columns to get one-time benefits, one-time bonuses, um, and to also cross off all the numbers on a given card so that you can get a special bonus for, for scoring that card. Um, so it's, it's, it's a gamified version of, of bingo that does involve a little bit of luck, but it's luck shared by all players. You're flipping a card over to show a number and all players are choosing where to put that number on cards that are slightly different. Uh, they're all pretty mm -hmm. similar, but they all have, they all have numbers on them. And there is an interesting choice in Super Mega Lucky Box mm -hmm. when at the end of each round, when you get some new cards and you new, new bingo sheets, essentially, and you're choosing which one to keep based on numbers that you've already crossed off numbers that haven't been drawn yet. So there's a little bit of information there. It isn't completely random every time you get that choice or every time a number is drawn. Um, but it is a game that I, I can't explain it thematically beyond we're playing being a gamified bingo. And I had a lot of fun with it in recent plays. Have either of you played Super Mega Lucky Box or can you think of a roll and write game that might fit into this category mm -hmm. of abstract games because it can't be explained thematically? <laughs> I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I know you've mentioned it a couple of times on your channel. So at this point, I have to check it out. <laughs> I know some of the other folks I, I admire as well have played it. Um, and I don't really gravitate towards rolling rights, but it's becoming more and more popular. So, and they're just, just getting more and more elaborate and sometimes even more thematic as well. And of course there's bingo and Yahtzee and, and those kind of rolling rights um, welcome to, but uh, I haven't had a chance to get into the rolling rights, uh, but I'll, I'll have to check that one out. Sounds very fascinating. Yeah, it uh, it's definitely it's a fun game. Uh, it, it's something I do have in my collection uh, off off camera. Uh, one thing that probably attracted uh, me to it uh, at first is the art. Uh, it's mm -hmm. it's very fun. It's kind of cartoonish. Uh, it reminded me of uh, the art from Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, mm -hmm. If those who are familiar with the, the the mini ABC cartoons from the 1980s. Oh, sure. uh, but uh, but yeah, it's a great roll and write. Uh, and then, Jamie, to answer your question, I would say a couple other favorite roll and rights of mine, um, Rolling Realms, uh, definitely, uh, I, I would have to say. Um, that's probably the, the the top of my list. Yeah. Thanks. Well, yeah, so that's Super Mega Lucky Box at my number four abstract game. 
We'll go down to number three. William, what's your number three pick? All right. My number three is a game that needs no introduction whatsoever. Um, if you live in St. Louis, you probably have come across this a, a gigantic piece. Um, it it's also has the uh, Hall of Fame there. Uh, if you're familiar with the names Magnus Coulson or Bobby Fischer or Beth Harmon, um, as you mentioned earlier, Eric, it is the granddaddy of all games. That is chess. This is a uh, tournament uh, set that I, I, I used to play chess competitively. Um, I still do coach and tutor sometimes on the side. Um, I've done a lot of different tournaments in chess and, and traveled across the country uh, for playing chess. And I don't know if it needs much of an explanation, but for those that aren't acquainted with chess, it is played on a, a board. This is going to really date me how long I've been playing this. Uh, it's really old looking, um, but this is my chess set that I got at nationals um, in 2010 in high school. Uh, we, we won first place as a team um, in the nation. And so this is a game that's really near and dear to my heart. And uh, so basically, Imagine a game where you have a, basically an army of pieces and your most important piece is your weakest. You can't really move. <laughs> and you're trying to basically attack your other uh, opponent um, by moving and configuring your pieces in a such a way. And each, each piece moves uniquely and have their own special abilities. And, um, but you can't necessarily capture your opponent's king, uh, but you can attack them. And if you ever put your opponent's king in a position where they are attacked and can't move without being attacked again, then you win the game. Another thematic or uh, mechanical twist, I should say, is that your other uh, piece that's very, very uh, powerless or very weak is called the pawn. But however, if that pawn is brave enough and strong enough and survives enough and gets to the other side of the board, it can become one of your most powerful pieces, which is called the queen. And so you're trying to protect your king. Um, you're trying to use your queen, which is very powerful, um, and maybe even promote your pawns and two queens to uh, be victorious in the game. And so. Most folks are probably familiar with, with chess. It's very old, um, around the 1500s or so, if not older. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really near and dear to my heart and, and my family. And uh, I got a lot of fond memories of it. So if you haven't played chess, now is a great time. You can, there's so many different ways to play at this point. And so definitely check it out. I think for me, uh, as, a, as a coach, tutor, and um, just a teacher, it just, in my own life, is at the very minimum is giving me confidence. I think, I mean, it teaches, like you said, Eric, a lot of these after games can teach you a lot of different values, such as sacrifice or planning ahead, or just looking at all your different options or, you know, controlling your time, time management. You don't want to uh, lose time and, and lose on time. Um, but for me, the biggest thing is just confidence. I think when I told people, oh, I play chess, you know, oh, you must be so smart. And I never really thought of myself as smart, but because they thought I was smart because I played chess, oh, I guess I might be smart. And so it just boosted my confidence. I think in life, confidence is, is very important. So I encourage anyone, if you have young kids or older folks, um, anyone you know should learn chess. It, it'll do a lot for you. Um, yeah, wait, my, I, oh, go ahead. Go. No, no, J Jamie, please go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say that I, I, I like some of those mechanisms that you highlight because we I, I think when I think of chess, I think of it in very broad strokes, but you went into some really neat game mechanisms that are part of chess. The idea that, that you're the most important piece is the weakest. That's a, a really great hook right there for a game. And for such an old game to have a sense of progression as you play, that idea that if you do move your pawn all the way to the other side, that's a that's an advanced level mechanism, I think, that they that has been built for this this very very old game. So I'm glad you highlighted those mechanisms in chess, and 
I have one other thing to say about it, but Eric, what, 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 what were you thinking about it? It's, um, I would say it's the epitome of advanced planning. Um, mm -hmm. where it, it's amazing where I'll watch people who are playing. I, I'm not a, a big chess player myself, but they'll say, um, you know, checkmate in 12 moves, you know, that they're, mm -hmm. they're thinking that far advanced. And the other thing that I really love about chess is despite your experience or uh, expertise or level of the game, um, when you sit down at that table across from your opponent, um, before you move the first piece, uh, the battlefield is even, right? That uh, mm -hmm. at that moment, you guys are evenly matched. Um, and, you know, it, the game can go anywhere uh, from there. And, and it, it's amazing that, you know, from young and old, you know, people pick it up. Uh, my 11-year-old right now uh, has really taken to chess uh, mm -hmm. so much that my uh, daughter actually bought him his first uh, copy of chess for his birthday recently. Uh, so hopefully we'll have a, another, uh, you know, chess, chess master uh, on our hands soon. And I, I wanted to comment on that, and that's wonderful, Eric, that your, your, your son is getting into it. Um, I, I mentioned on a recent live cast that I had taught and played Star Wars, the deck building game, not an abstract game, but I taught it and played it against two other people at the same time. And I was talking about how big of a challenge that was. And William chimed in to say that he has played chess against how many other people, William, at the same time? Like at least at least six, five or six other yeah, wow. yeah. students. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, which I just thought was incredibly impressive. I, I, I know I've, I've heard stories of people doing that. I don't think I've ever met someone who has been able to really do that um, with any game, and especially coming off a weekend where I taught a game that I know very well and could barely hang on. I lost both games of <laughs> the deck building game as I was playing it and teaching it to these other people. So that's incredible that you are able to, and not only play, but also, I think you said you won all those games, right? Because yes. they're learning. Well, yeah. They, yeah, they're learning the game. They're my students. So, um, you know, it's a way to kind of handicap myself as well um, and try to make the game a little bit more even. And, you know, they're they're younger, they're learners, uh, but it's still a challenge for me. And uh, yeah, have you ever visited the uh, Chess Hall of Fame in St. Louis? I, I have, yeah, I, I, I live very close to there, yeah. Yeah, it's very impressive. So if you ever want to continue to grow in chess, that's a great way to play that. There's a club right across the street. Great food as well. Highly recommend it. That's my number four of, of chess. Yeah. Or number three, actually, on my list. Number three, three chess. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Fantastic uh, game. Is, yeah. My, my number three on my list is a uh, little abstract game called Number Nine uh, by Z-Man Games. And this essentially is, is a puzzle um, where you have... Um, um, two copies of uh, pieces that are zero through nine um, and shaped as such. And the object of the game is everyone uh, takes their turn at the same time. Uh, it can play solo, but up to four people. Uh, if you have two copies of the game, you can play up to eight. Uh, and uh, you flip over a card, which will have one of the numbers zero through nine on it. Uh, and you then put down that piece. And then every piece after that that you put down must connect to that piece, um, either on top of it or next to it. And when you start putting pieces on top of one another, um, that piece must um, rest on top of two adjacent pieces. So it can't just uh, seam seamlessly sit um, on top of only one piece because the object now is as you start building up your puzzle, everything that is on that second layer will score you one point times mm. the number of that number. 
So a nine scores nine points, a two scores two points, et cetera. Mm -hmm. As you then build onto the next layer on top of that, uh, they now are, their points are double. So a seven will score you 14 points on that. Uh, and um, in addition to not, or the fact that uh, it has to at least be on two different pieces, there can't be any overhang uh, as well. And uh, if when you were building kind of like your foundation, if you made any gaps or anything, um, you know, where the pieces aren't necessarily together the, the way that they're shaped, uh, there you could end up with a hole or something like that. You can't cover up a hole. Um, so basically the piece that you put down must be um, completely um, covering uh, something, you know, that's, that's underneath. Um, that's basically kind of the, the rules uh, in, in a nutshell. You, you know, you, you uh, place them. Uh, the object is just to score uh, as high as possible. Um, but what is really unique is everyone is building the same puzzle at the same time, but their results are going to be drastically different uh, based mm -hmm. on where and how you place your pieces. So that, that is my number three game, number nine. Very cool. I haven't played it, but I, I love the sound of the decision space for uh, about building out, building wide and building up. Um, that sounds like a, a great decision space to have in a game. Yeah, I haven't played it either, but I'm going to have to add it to my list. It's another one yeah. that I have to check out. <laughs> Number nine. That sounds excellent. You introduced me to some great Astro games. Yeah, I've, I've found that the, the key to be successful is to not uh, jump ahead, but to uh, try to create a very strong uh, foundation. Mm -hmm. Like Jamie was saying, kind of build out. Uh, so make uh, your your bottom layer as big and wide as possible. Hopefully, with your low valued numbers, uh, if if they come out in in that correct order, and then start building up. Uh, but yeah, like like with any um, you know proper building with a good foundation, uh, you can then you know build something solid. That sounds great. Number nine. Thank you for sharing, Eric. Sure. Um, my number three is uh, one, I think, William, you mentioned it, uh, and that is Sagrada. Sagrada does have a, the beautiful veneer of a theme, the, um, the stained glass window, and I'm glad they put the theme on it, uh, mm -hmm. but I can't really explain the game based on the theme. We're putting dice on a board to cover up numbers, and, and, uh, and that's okay, because one of the things I love about Sagrada, which, uh, like many of these games, can pretty much be explained by the back of the box, you have a, a blank mat that you're trying to cover up with dice with the key rule being that you can't place dice next to each other orthogonally adjacent to each other that are the same number or the same color um, and you're drafting dice with all players so there is a little bit of player interaction where we'll, if we're the three of us were playing we would roll i think what seven dice i think there'd be one mm -hmm. extra one uh we'd roll seven dice eric would pick one i'd pick one then william william would then pick another one and then i'd pick one and then eric and as we're picking these we're putting them on our on our mats but uh what I think is a nice little interactive mechanism. We're not really hurting each other. We're just gaining the thing that we want most at that moment. Um, but there is a little bit of interaction, some reasons to pay attention to other players. But the thing I, I really love about this game in particular, and this is the case with some of the games that we're talking about, but maybe not all abstract games, is that you end up with a beautiful creation. I like mm -hmm. games where you end up creating something by the end of it. And in many, or some abstract games, like uh, you mentioned chess a second ago, chess, you have kind of created something, but really you've, you've, removed things from the board over the course of the game. You're going to put with less than when you began. Mm -hmm. uh, and I like that Sagrada, uh, not that I want every abstract game to be this way, but I like games where you end up with something at the end. So whether or not you win or lose, you created something that 
hopefully mm -hmm. it looks pretty and I think does look pretty in Sagrada thanks to the dice um one of the reasons I did pick this over Azul Summer Pavilion is that Megan and I recently played through the Sagrada Legacy game which is a uh it's very similar to the core game except that you are using colored pencils to color in a vast variety of shapes of stained glass windows instead of just the standard grid uh, we played through 11 games of that really enjoyed it i figured if we were willing to play 11 games of that and we and i haven't played azul in a couple of years now i had to pick sagrada for this pick so that is sagrada at number three for me and i would include the legacy version in that pick it was very satisfying to play through william it sounds like you played sagrada uh, oh yeah yep it's it's a great game um i have it i have a couple of expansions i don't have the the legacy the artisan as you mentioned um but it's phenomenal like you said um it is just like aesthetically pleasing. I like what you mentioned about you building, and that's how I often compare like Euro games and like Ameritrash games or Ameritrash games. Is that you know a lot of times Euro games are building a civilization or building a, a village or something like that, um, and where a lot of times <laughs> with Ameritrash games you're kind of like attacking your opponent and bringing them down and bringing the life points down to zero. And so I like what you said. There's like more like building something where in chess, you kind of, it's more destructive than constructive. Um, there is a, that does foreshadow um, another game on my list talking about constructive abstract games. So I'm glad you brought that up for sure. Nice. Yeah, Sagrada is uh, definitely a great game. It's, it's something I have in my collection as well. Uh, what I love is just how simple uh, the, the rules are that there's some really advanced uh, strategies, uh, I guess. And, and also just hope and luck where you are, if you're playing with several people, you know, that you're really hoping they don't take that one particular die that you need. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's all open information. Um, but how you, yeah, you're, you're trying to just strategically place those die uh, to meet certain requirements uh, and then build up uh, as many points as possible. So yeah, great game. That's Sagrada at my number three. William, what about your number two favorite abstract game? All right, it's coming down to it. It was really hard to pick these top two, um, but if I had to pick a top two, number two on my list would be Shobu. Uh, Shobu is a game I recently picked up at Gen Con. It's been out for a little while. Um, and if you look at the game though, it's very simplistic <laughs> in terms of it's, um, well, again, you can learn the game basically through rules in the back of the box and just looks very simplistic in terms of its components, just some stones and some boards and a nice little <laughs> a rope <laughs> going across these, these this intersection of boards. And um, basically you can move one of your stones on, um, if you say you're playing the black stones here, you can, uh, you're playing, you're controlling all of those, uh, 16 black stones and your opponent would be playing all of those white stones. However, um, you, um, you can move one of your stones up to two spaces in any direction, right here, for example, in, in this example here. And then you would have to match that move on another of your stones on any of the opposite colored boards. So this is a, a dark colored board. So if you were to move here, you have to move on the opposite board, which is the light colored board. Um, and to try to push off your opponents. Stones. And so you win when you remove all four of your opponent's uh, stones from any one board. And so this game just melted my brain at Gen Con. I love to abstract games. It's it's a little almost like, like you mentioned, um, uh, that time you killed me. It's almost like time travel because what you do on this board affects what you do on that board. And so say you wanted to like push a piece off of like this board. Uh, so first you have to like move a piece on the whiteboard if you want to move something on the blackboard. And so, okay, which board do I want to move on? Um, 
And you have to, and the key is that the other trick is that your first move is a passive move mm. while your um, second move is the aggressive move. So your first move cannot move, push pieces, cannot push pieces off the board or push pieces at all. But your second move is the aggressive one. And that's the one that can actually push pieces off the board. And so uh, it, it's, it has these weird moments where it's, okay, I want to push this piece off the board. If I can do that, I win, but I have to be able to move a piece on another board that's the opposite color to do that in the same direction. It has to be the same, you just can't. So it really is a mind-bending exercise. And like I said, you're just, you're playing on literally four different boards, but you only have to win on one board. So you can be like losing on one board and then the tides return and you'll like focus on another board. Um, it is amazing game. It's still one of those little bit of a destructive experience because you're removing stones off the board. Uh, but if you haven't played Shobu, I highly recommend it. It's, it looks great. And it, and it feels like it would be an older game. And <laughs> like, oh man, this is this looks simple, like stones and 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 some wood and and a, just a cool little constraint. Um, but no, it's it's really uh, more of a modern release. And uh, but it feels like a you know one of those older games, like you know uh, shogi or you know Chinese checkers or chess. So that's my number two, Shobu. Very neat. I've never played it, uh, but you've definitely captured my interest. I played it at uh, at Geekway Mini, a local convention here, um, the smaller version of Geekway to the West, a few years ago, and I played. Remember playing playing with Megan, and we were hooked right away on it. Oh yeah! Uh, in the first play, we kind of stumbled through it a little bit because it is it is a bit of a brain bender, similar like you said to that time that time you killed me. I think that it was probably a little difficult to grok the first time you play it, but then we wanted to play right again, right away again. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Megan crushed me both times. And William, like you said, I, it does feel like an older game, both in terms of the mechanisms and the feel of the game. Like they, I think they went for that look in the, like they're actual stones, like polished stones mm -hmm. that aren't consistent in size and shape. So the tactile element of it really, uh, for, for an abstract game, takes you to almost another place as you're playing, a simpler, simpler place where you don't have all these fancy components that we have in games these days. But they feel good. They're really satisfying components in the game. Yeah. Absolutely. I like what you said there. Um, I was immediately hooked at Gen Con. They just had a demo booth. Uh, it's produced by Smirk and Dagger. And I said, oh, what's that? It's, it's an abstract game. I love abstract games, you know? So, of course, I'm going to check it out. And I was just there the whole time just playing back-to-back -back games. <laughs> you know, of course, I you know, let other people um, play as well. And they saw that I loved it so much. And I was so hooked <laughs> by this game. They just gave me this copy for free. It's like, hey, oh, you won, like, oh, three man. games in a row. You know, obviously, just <laughs> just have it. You can keep it, you know? And so, um, yeah, it has a special part. In my, and, and that was my first Gen Con this year as well. So, yeah, this is very special to me, Shobu. That's nice. awesome. So, Shobu for your number two. Yep. Eric, what about your number two? So, my my number two, uh, so no no surprise here, uh, <laughs> is my copy of Blockus. Uh, definitely has a lot of uh, shelfware. Um, but, yeah, this <laughs> is... Probably one of the first games that uh, I played as I got into board gaming back in about 2017 is, is when I started really playing contemporary board games. Uh, and I just love the the simplicity, you know, so as, as William mentioned, you know, we, we don't need to go over it again, but there's basically two rules. Um, and uh, I spent a lot of time uh, just playing this with my kids. And um, so uh, a game that's yeah very near and dear to me, uh, Love Blockus. So Eric, I'll, I'll follow you up by saying that yep. Blockus is also my number two. <laughs> Although I can trump you both a little bit because my copy is really old. Yeah, uh, yes. I don't know the date. Let's see if I can find a date on it. This is like my childhood copy or maybe my teenage wow. year copy. It is a very old copy. It's kind of an awkward shape. I'm jealous of the copies that you have because you could probably fit them on yourself a little bit better. 
this is one of those big square old boxes of games that don't, doesn't really fit on shelves very well but I still love it. I adore the game. I pretty much only want to play it at four. I probably could mm-hmm. play it at two, but generally if I have four people who want to play a game in like 15 to 20 minutes, a block, this is one that I try to remember, um, even though it's hidden on the shelf based on its size. One thing I want to mention about block this and a few of the, I think this is echoed by a few other abstract games that I really love about it is that uh, your first few turns are fairly low stakes. Like th- they are important. They're permanent. Like you can't move pieces around the board of block this. If you are an advanced player, I think you can think a lot about those first few turns and how you might fill in those spaces later or block other players from getting through those spaces later. But for someone learning the game, you just put a piece down. You haven't ruined your strategy. You haven't, you haven't made your strategy either, but you just put a piece down. You can put another piece down. It's really by that third or fourth piece that you start to interact with other players. But I, I like how low stakes those first few turns are. And I think that's really helpful in onboarding people into a game when you know, okay, just take a turn, see what it feels like. Take another turn, see what it feels like, and then you can start to ramp up and show them what the different interactions and how deep that decision space is. So I love that about Blockus, and I've seen that element echoed in some of these other games that we've mentioned today as well. And it also looks cool, you know. I think it has this it aesthetic cool, yeah. to it, you mm-hmm. know. It has this, this almost like this glass, but it's glass, but like mosaic look when you're finished. It's that constructive feel where you look at yeah. it. Oh, that that's kind of cool looking, you know. I don't. What, what game are you playing? Kind of like Sagrada is kind of pleasing to the eye and aesthetically um, looks good. So that's a good one to play for sure. I love Blockus. Yeah. We're down to our number one. I'm very curious to hear what you pick, William. I assumed your chess that chess was going to be your number one. It clearly <laughs> isn't your number yeah. one. Um, yeah. So I'm curious about yours. I'm curious about Eric's. Uh, William, what is your number one? All right. So number one, it is. It was definitely a hard thing to do to make this list. Um, <laughs> but as I mentioned, it kind of foreshadowed. Uh, this one has that um, constructive aesthetic to it. That's very pleasing at the end of the game. You had this beautiful board with just black and white stones. It's the, one of the oldest games um, ever existed that's still being played today. And that is the granddaddy of all games, the game of Go. Yes, mm-hmm. Go. Um, this is my, I love Go. I love Go more than I love chess. Um, if anyone were to ask me, what's your favorite game? It is Go. And um, it's, it's a similar like lifestyle game like chess. You can become a grandmaster. You can be, become a professional Go player and win lots of money. Um, that's what you decide to do. But um, it is so simple. Um, it has like one or two rules, just like most of those games on this list. Very few rules. And uh, basically, you're playing these black and white stones on the um, corners or the edge, not the actual faces, but the intersections, right? And you're playing these black and white stones and intersections there. And your objective is to basically control territory. If you use your stones uh, to surround one of your opponent's stones, you can capture all of those stones. Um, and so there's some um, there's some play interaction in that regard, and you can remove stones. So there's some deconstruction there, but at the end of the game, you have this 19 by 19 board filled up with white and black stones. And it is, it is just a sight to see as well as to play. Um, many fans of Go say that every game that's ever existed borrow some elements from go and so if you're a game designer or just love games in general um now i don't know that might be a little bit of a stretch but i get what they're saying because there's a lot of core concepts in this game and there's just that like so that beauty that aesthetic that simplicity um yeah go uh, if you haven't played it um i highly recommend you check it out you can learn a lot about games in general this is a very very old board i had it since like middle school i've been playing since middle school um as you can see it's like a lot of wear and tear on this thing uh but it's at the end of the day you will have a beautiful 
uh, Endgame state and uh, kind of it doesn't have a story, it doesn't have a narrative, but you'll have a little bit of a story to do expand your territory and capture your opponent's stones. And uh, that is my number one game of uh, Go. I've heard a lot about Go, and I'm almost embarrassed to say I've never played it. Um, but uh, I, I think this uh, I will definitely add uh, to to my must playlist uh, and try to get it um, to the table as soon as possible. And I've played a little bit of Go. Um, as you were talking, William, I, I remembered that I play a lot more of a game that I think is somewhat similar called Othello. Have you played mm -hmm. Othello? I yeah, played a similar. lot of that. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, uh, but and, and but not as much Go. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm guessing Othello took quite a bit of uh, from Go and implemented. It. I, I I don't know why I connected with that one more than than Go. Othello was a game about kind of uh, trapping in your opponent's pieces, but that's a, that's also an element of Go. Um, yeah. And the coolest uh, mechanism I think I would say in the game of Go is that mm -hmm. any literally any move you make will influence the game. Even like a mm -hmm. move like on the edge of the board that doesn't seem like it has a lot of use. Um, and there's different examples I like to try to hook people in with that. It's like, no, there's no way. There's no, this board is so big. Like, what do you mean? Like any move you make will influence is like has in, like impact basically. Mm -hmm. Not to say that they all have equal impact or like ruin the game, but there's some times where you like make a move out here and then like some, some sort of like skirmish will break out here and that war will continue. And it's like, oh, but that one stone helped like reinforce or protect the, your stones that were under attack because the, 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 fight, the fight moved over to um, that one lone stone. And so it's very interesting the dynamics you have. So um, it, is, it is definitely one that's not as popular as chess or some of these other games, but uh, it's like I said, it's very, very old and it has that simplicity. And um, yeah, it's, it's still a lifestyle game. So definitely you can get into it at any time of your life. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it for sure. If you haven't played it, highly recommend it. Go. That's William's awesome. topic of Go. I love that pick, mm -hmm. William. And it is one that's probably pretty easy to play on the computer, too, if someone just wants to oh, try yeah. it out and play a little bit. It's free everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, Eric, what is your number one pick? So speaking of playing games on a computer, uh, even though I do have uh, physical copies here, uh, I had to put at the top of my list uh, Azul, uh, which is a game that I've probably played on Board Game Arena I don't know, possibly 300 times uh, now at this point. Um, on BGA, I love playing it with just two people uh, where it just plays very quickly. Uh, and it actually then becomes a very cutthroat game uh, where it's, uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, that basically uh, every player has the exact uh, same uh, grid. Um, and there's open information on these tiles that you uh, choose where they're gonna come out uh, on these uh, different pieces. Uh, they all look like uh, little mosaic uh, tiles. And you will take all of one uh, color um, and then anything else that you don't take then goes uh, into the center. Uh, and then as you continue taking, uh, the tiles that are in the center will keep building up. So if you wanted to, let's just say, take the red one or take the one that looks like a star, you then have to take all of that. And then when you place it on your mat, um, you can only place it on one row. Uh, so let's say you happen to take five of one uh, color, you can't break it up and do two in one row and three in the other row. So any extra that you have is then gonna go on the bottom of your mat, which then you will lose points uh, based on those. Uh, and you know the, the amount of points that you lose will increase uh, based on the number. 
uh, Azul is a game that I love so much that I've become a big fan of the whole series. Um, <laughs> that I would probably say right now, Queen's Garden is my favorite of all the games that are uh, currently in the series. Um, it uh, starts with the same core mechanism, and then from there, it just uh, has a lot more advanced strategy uh, to it. But um, yeah, Summer Pavilion uh, is another great one that I know Jamie has mentioned and uh, didn't make his list this year. But um, yeah, based on my number of plays, I would definitely have to say the Azul series is my favorite abstract game. William, have you played these and do you have a favorite among the bunch? I've played Azul. I don't have it. Um, I haven't played any of the other ones. I know there's so many more now. At this point, it's hard to keep track. But um, I, I think I like the original. Um, I, I enjoyed my time with it. I just, I think I gravitated a little bit more towards Sagrada in terms of that mm -hmm. same kind of drafting and then playing of an abstract game. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a phenomenal game. It's definitely one of the top of a lot of people's lists, a lot of the top of board game geek for a reason as well. You can't go wrong with any of the Zools. There's so many and they're so great. They just, and they look great to look at as well. Those pieces, again, aesthetically yeah. pleasing, even though it doesn't have a theme, doesn't mean that it can't look good. And it definitely mm -hmm. is an eye catcher for sure. So two of the reasons that I love the Summer Pavilion version, and it's just like marginal differences over original Azul is one, it's slightly more forgiving because you can store mm -hmm. four pieces that you don't use if you want and you're not punished for having them. And it also has a little, um, and Azul has this too, but I think it has slightly more elements of uh, times where you can complete things, um, different like little completion goals along the way that don't just give you extra points. This is the difference, I guess. That doesn't just give you extra points, but it actually gives you extra tiles in Azul Summer Pavilion. When you complete a certain aspect, um, you can get you can get up to three bonus tiles depending on what you completed, and that feels really good to me in Summer Pavilion. I, I love the original Azul, but I, I I only have one in my collection that is the Summer Pavilion version. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this one, Eric. I think it's a great example of a, uh, a a modern game that a modern abstract game that has done very, very well. I think it's tough for an abstract game to break through in the market, but Azul has done that in, in a huge way, and millions of copies sold. Yeah. So that's uh, Go at Williams number one, Azul at Eric's number one, and mine kind of coming out of left field here. Fairly recent game is a game called Bullet. Are there either of you wow. familiar with Bullet? I have not. No. So this I is am. a game that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, away. Only a little bit. Only because of oh, the, the the anime art style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is from Level Ninety Nine Games that often leans into this anime art style. It's a game that tries very very hard to have a theme, but it doesn't really have a theme, and that's okay because of the puzzle featured in this game. So each player has a player mat that looks like looks like this, and um. You are drawing, each player has their own bag of tokens. They're drawing tokens out of this bag and they're placing them uh, in a, the token tells you where you need to place it. So each, each of these columns has a color and then based on the number of that token, you're placing it further down in the column. Um, the danger points in this game are when those tokens get too low. So if you fill up a column with too many tokens and you need to place a token uh, lower than any of those, then it actually it hurts you there is player elimination in this game you can you can lose amount amount of health based on those tokens and you're knocked out of the game um but fortunately there is a way to manipulate and clear these tokens based on cards that you're trying to complete and special abilities that you have where you're trying to manipulate the tokens by moving them into certain patterns and then 
based on the cards that you play, remove certain tokens based on patterns. So I might have a card that says, if I have, uh, say, like three red tokens in a row here, if I've completed that pattern, then uh, then the tokens to the left of those tokens are all removed. So you're trying to complete like two different types of patterns that are linked to one another. You achieve this little pattern to clear this other pattern or all the other tokens in this other area of the board. It's As I've said, it's very abstract to describe. I can't describe this in a thematic way, but it is really, really satisfying to have these tokens come out of your bag uh, uh, to, to fill up this mat and, and uh, have this tension grow of, oh no, I, I really need to focus on this certain element, this column where I've happened to draw a bunch of red tokens. I need to find a way to clear those tokens off by completing these patterns. And the one other element of the game that I think is a lot of fun is when you do clear tokens off your board, um, they aren't just, they aren't just, they don't go back to the supply. They go to the player on your left. They go into their bag in the next round. And so everything you clear off to help yourself is somewhat directly, somewhat indirectly hurting your opponent. It doesn't go onto their board right away. It just goes into their bag where they have more tokens to draw that, that aren't tokens that they want. Um, but that is a, a fun type of player interaction for me where I'm not really directly hurting someone. I'm not destroying something they've created, but I'm making it a little bit more difficult for them to uh, to figure out the puzzle. So yeah, that is uh, that is Bullet, a, a, an abstract game that I really, really enjoyed playing through. There's a lot of asymmetry in the box. Uh, but even if I had to play the same character multiple times in a row, I would still have fun with it. Wow. Wow, Bullet. That is a, definitely a surprise pick. Oh, <laughs> man. It's more modern. Um, the, actually, our characters, I like what you said, though. Um, I never really thought of it as an abstract line. Of course it is, because uh, you like said, it's really hard to describe it <laughs> thematically. I mean, I guess you're yeah. firing bullets at one another, but like then you put it in a bag. It's it's kind of I mean the way you described it made me think of like multiplayer uh, Tetris or Tetris 99 where like okay as you clear rows you're basically adding the junk rows to your opponent and making it them harder for them to clear their rows but you can again pass the rows off to someone else and so yeah when you think of it that way it's like oh yeah Tetris is very much so an abstract game and so yeah. Bullet even though it has like characters and anime uh, art and an asymmetric player powers it's still very much so an abstract game that's and um, I might have to check that one out. And I think with the, see, I feel like after games are, mm, there's two sides of it, right? Because there are very few rules, just basic pieces, it seems very approachable. But because a lot of times there's like perfect information and in like a lot of times lifestyle games, um, there's usually, if someone who's that experience that has a lot of experience and there's a big skill gap a lot of times. Um, but this one I feel like might be a little bit more of an even playing field. Now with Go, you can make them, you can have handicaps and there's different ways you can handicap yourself and make it more balanced in other games as well. Um, but I feel like this one might be a little bit more approachable because of it's somewhat of a, of a, of a theme and some of the player powers and such. And um, yeah, that, I'm going to have to check that one out. Bullet. Wow. Very surprising. Yeah, I wasn't familiar of um, any abstract games with asymmetric powers. Um, <laughs> so that that definitely really intrigued me because usually, yeah, everyone comes to the table. They have the exact same game state uh, that they have, and then it's where you go from there. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely have got some really uh, great games that uh, I certainly need to check out after today's conversation. Yeah, but I, I I would highly recommend Bullet. And Bullet does the asymmetry largely in that each character has their own deck of cards, and they well deck of, they are their own abilities and their own deck of cards where they're clearing things in very different ways. 
Um, and William, I think you said it really well there, the, the satisfaction in Tetris of clearing a row, it's that same burst of endorphin that you get in Bullet when you clear uh, tokens that were otherwise clogging up your player map. Yeah. Well, I've loved hearing your perspectives on this game. So you, you both were incisive and insightful in terms of how you described all the games on your list. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me. Is there anything that, else that you have thought of while we talked about this that you'd like to leave people with or that, that you're processing about abstract games that you'd like people to comment on on the video? Yeah, so, I mean, of course, they can uh, reply with their top abstract games. I'm a little bit more of the purest camp of just, you know, just basic uh, pieces, uh, no theme, no art, no thing like that. And I'm just curious if anyone's played Shobu or Go, um, how maybe what their ranks were in Go or chess, because you can, you know, get ranked in those games. Um, my highest rank was like 5Q in Go and then like around 15 or 1800 in chess. Um, and just, just you guys reminded me just how simple these games can be, the simplicity of the games, but the beauty of the game, you know, and just the approachability of this game and how, like you said, your grandchildren be, can be playing it just as much as your grandfather might have been playing it and uh, your grandparents. And so, uh, yeah, these these are games are really, really special. I mean, like Tic-Tac-Toe is an abstract game. You know, there's just so many games that, um, you know, whether it be Connect Four and so on. And so, uh, yeah, they're not going anywhere. They're just really, really popular. And it's great to see them do well in the modern space as well. So, yeah. yeah. One of my favorite things I would say about abstract games is how approachable they are. Um, where my wife is really not a board gamer at all. And uh, she does have certain criteria when we do play a game where it's something that uh, if she needs to learn it, um, the teach time has to be less than two minutes. You know, mm -hmm. so like I can never sit her down and explain Scythe to her. Uh, and the other thing is when she sees me playing Scythe, she's like, there's just too many pieces. She's like, this is just too complex. She's like, it looks beautiful on the table, but it's just too much. And I think abstract games, kind of many of the ones that we mentioned today are easily approachable. Uh, they usually have a relatively short play time. Uh, they are very uh, concise in terms of their rules as well. Uh, and it, it's just, it's a great uh, almost gateway game um to to try to introduce someone into modern board gaming uh and then start to learn all of those different um mechanics and mechanisms to learn about um area control and advanced planning and set collection and and everything else that you know you may not realize when you first sit down at the table but um mm -hmm. you're going to pick up those things very quickly i think even the most thematic designers can benefit from playing abstract games because you can mm -hmm. the 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 simplicity like you said there the simplicity of these games and how streamlined they are how accessible they are they can lead to some brilliant like mini games and more complex games or little puzzles of a little you know action selection puzzles that are very abstract that lead to many more thematic mechanisms in the game so i i think it's a, a great category of game to play no matter how complex or thematic of a designer you're trying to be well, thank you both for, for chiming in today. I'll let you know when the video goes live in a few months. And anyone watching this, um, feel free to let us know what your favorites are of the games that we picked. And if you have a favorite abstract game that we didn't pick and let us know why you picked it. I'd love to hear about that in the comments. Thank you, Eric and William. Thank, thank you. you.